Hello, welcome and thank you for joining us for another Not The Top 20 podcast. My name's Ali Maxwell. I've got George Ellick alongside me. Now, we are 10 games in to the EFL season and for that reason alone and for the fact that there are midweek games this week that can uh, make what we say pretty outdated pretty quickly, what we're going to do is use this arbitrary 10-game status and make some big calls. So uh, starting with the championship, where there is just six points between the team in first, West Bromwich Albion, and the team in 15th in Aston Villa, things still incredibly tight. So uh, it's still quite hard to predict which way things are going to go. And so just a a quick one from me and George before we talk to our special guest, voice of the EFL for Sky Sports, Daniel Mann, who joined us earlier. Uh, We're going to go through some of our our favourite teams, teams we've been impressed by, teams we've been disappointed by, and some individuals as well. So George, starting with you and in the championship, um, which team have you been most impressed with so far? Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the teams you think are going to be promoted as well. So we're saying that we're leaving those two out, so it's the best of the rest. And uh, I think Sheffield United have been absolutely superb so far this season. Um, I think, you know, they have a fantastic uh, first season back in the championship last season. They've, they've built upon that with Chris Wilder at the helm. If you look at the business they did over the summer, just a couple of tweaks which have really, really improved them. I mean, Oliver Norwood, we've spoken about it a lot, but he's been a crucial cog in that midfield. He's really kind of changed the whole way that team play now, having him as that, as that linchpin between defence and attack. And you're looking at David McGoldrick as well, who they got in a free transfer. He's been a fantastic signing. Um, they're scoring goals for fun. If you look at uh, their recent league games, they beat Bolton 3-0, they beat uh, Villa 4-1. They've scored three in their last two games against Preston and Millwall, so they're scoring goals for fun. Maybe could tighten up a bit at the back, but uh, as starts go, they're in fourth place on 19 points from 10 games. That's an A-star. Um, they've absolutely nailed it. Yeah, I want to talk about Wigan because they're the team that I've been most impressed with, promoted from League One last season. And it's not just that they've taken to the championship, which is not necessarily surprising in itself, but the way that they've done it, building on the strength of the squad from last season and some of those key personnel like Nick Powell, um, Shay Dunkley, Christian Walton, who came back in on loan, the goalkeeper, but also some of the players that they've added and how they've been immediately able to contribute. Reese James, the fullback on loan from Chelsea, has been fantastic. Josh Winder seems to have settled into the side really, really well. They play uh, a very entertaining brand of football, attacking in its mindset. Uh, Paul Cook showing no signs of, 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 of finding his level uh, in his first shot at the championship as a manager and you just look at their squad it's been put together carefully and with success in mind and I think last time they're in the championship you certainly couldn't have said that about their recruitment just looking at their bench on the weekend they didn't have a great game against Norwich but Nathan Byrne Darren Gibson Will Grigg Callum McManaman Cal Naismith Jamie Jones and Callum Connolly I mean these are guys who can come in and contribute to this team so really impressive start to their to their uh, championship campaign Wigan the team that I'm most impressed with Uh, on the flip side George teams that we're most disappointed by this season yeah um, I was pretty bullish about Stoke pre-season we had them top of our predicted table I said that they were a team in the wrong league and it looks like if that's the case, they're closer to League One than they are to the Premier League at the moment. Um, they've been really, really poor. It's it's impossible really to say anything very flattering about them. Um, result after result have been substandard. 
Gary Rowett has not been able to make them into a solid functional team as we thought he would. Um, players who have you know international experience, who have Premier League experience, aren't just aren't stepping up to the plate whatsoever. Um, certain recruitment looked tired. I mean, the Asher Williams loan was just an absolute disaster yeah. on the on the face of it. Um, it's just been really, really poor. You'd hope that in Ryan Woods they have a bit of a star who can come through, but he's endured a difficult start since uh, coming coming to the club. Um, and you look at their recent results. I mean, they've conceded two goals. They've um, uh, conceded two against Rotherham on the weekend, um, losing at home to Blackburn 3-2. They obviously ground out that 1-0 against Swansea, but we're in no way impressive. Um, it's, it's hard to see Stoke as being anything better than mid-table fodder at the moment. And if it continues to trend in the other direction, then we could have a Sunderland Mark II on our hands. Yeah, the team that I'm most disappointed in is, is Preston, another team that we... Went big on, really, in our pre-season predictions. I think we had them just in the playoffs, and it's really hard to work that out now that they sit bottom of the championship. I don't think still that bottom of the championship is where they're destined to end up, but it's hard not to be feel quite let down by a team that you really thought were going to hit the ra- ground running here, thought this was a team on the up that was trending upwards, that had been run well and sustainably, that had a, um, a brilliant manager who, who knew his squad, who had built a squad in his image, young, hungry, dynamic, intense uh, and creative as well. Uh, and, and most importantly, last season, incredibly hard to beat. Now, that's just not been the case this season. For whatever reason, whether it was that just slight lack of recruitment or just a signing or two short in the summer, whether that is problems with personnel and with injuries, which we've talked about, whether it's just um, finding it really difficult to maintain the same high standards and to to essentially keep punching above their weight against teams that that maybe have more quality on paper. I feel a bit let down, really poor defensively all season, and that that is just unforgivable for for a defence that was so good with essentially the same personnel as last season and again similar personnel up front finding it really hard to get going Tom Barkhazen especially disappointing so far this season and, and um, feel yeah just just really disappointed I think that they, they did fine on the weekend against West Brom um, still lost and uh, yeah but, but pretty pretty bad vibes all around it'd be interesting to see how much longer Alex Neal is backed because if relegation looms and becomes a, a serious probability more than just a possibility it'd be interesting to see if if there's anything to be done there by the board um i I certainly hope that he turns it around in terms of managers george who's been your favorite manager in the championship this season i think it's got to be darren moore Uh, again partly because pre-season i wasn't entirely convinced he was the right man to take a club like west brom uh, back in the championship but um you know they've dealt with the relegation much better than the team i was just speaking about stoke they look like they're going to break records for, for goals scored in the league. Um, he's managed to get in Dwight Gale, who I think everyone knows that when he's playing in the championship, he's basically the best striker out there. Um, it's been superb, 25 goals from, from 10 games. Uh, they, they sit top of the table. He's got to take immense credit for that. You know, Harvey Barnes is another player we've spoken about a lot on the podcast. So getting a player of that calibre um, at this age in the championship where he's, he's basically just too good for the league was a fantastic piece of business. So... I think Darren Moore's brought the good times back to West Brom at a time where they really, really needed it. I love Graham Potter. 
I absolutely love him. I'm becoming more and more obsessed with him. This weekend, for example, Swansea, not only did they play fantastic football, putting QPR to the sword, beating them by three goals to nil with Youth Academy graduate Connor Roberts, uh, right back now for Swansea and potentially for Wales when Chris Gunter retires, scoring an eye-catching goal. But also Courtney Baker-Richardson scored their opening goal. Now, this was notable because the same player was sent off after just four minutes on his debut a few games ago against Millwall. A straight red card on debut, literally in the fourth minute of that game. Um, and, And that as something to go by for a manager, especially one that's that's not working with much, um, could, have, could have caused some issues. But as soon as he's finished his ban, Potter's brought him back in. He's believed in him and he's scored the opening goal. And I think that the belief that Potter has been able to instill in this team, a team that everyone looked at pre-season and said, why aren't you buying more players? This team isn't good enough. Um, they can't challenge. Now, Swansea, just in that sort of middle of the pack of the uh, challengers in seventh place at the moment. Uh, They've had plenty of games where they've not looked sparkling, but they've only conceded six goals from 10 games. And if you look at the players that have been a big part of this team, um, they're not well-known players. They're not players that cost a lot of money. A lot of them are are making their first steps in the professional game. And it's everything we hoped Graham Potter would be, um, just just making the absolute most of the squad at his disposal. So I'm really enjoying following Swansea this season. I'm really enjoying seeing how Potter is getting the most out of his slightly ragtag bunch of players. Um, And I know that Swansea fans are are basically looking forward to every game now, and and that is a massive part down to, to Graham Potter. So even if the board maybe didn't back him as much as people would have liked in the summer, um, fair play to whoever said that's the man we're going to get because um, regardless of, of how well we know he did in Sweden, of course it represented a risk uh, bringing over a manager who'd never managed at this level before in this country before. So Graham Potter, full marks from me. What about a favourite player before we do our predictions, George? Yeah, Bradley Dack. Uh, it has to be five goals in seven games. Um, obviously only seven games because of that injury he picked up midway through them two assists as well Brad, uh, Blackburn have had a super start to the season really really good I mean they may only be in uh, in 13th place but they're just five points off the top they'll have aspirations to climb the league now um, and he is comfortably the best player in that team as well um, we spoke a lot about Jack Grealish on the podcast last season um, I'm a massive fan and I think that Dak is looking like he is going in that direction where he looks like a Premier League player playing in the championship and it'll only be a matter of time till he gets that chance yeah, he's been on absolutely sparkling form. Scored again on the weekend on his return from injury in Blackburn. Very happy to have him back, that's for sure. I'm really enjoying Harvey Barnes. We flagged him up before the start of the season as a young player to watch, but even I didn't predict the sparkling way that he would start the season and, and the absolute importance of him to the team that is currently top of the table. Um, playing through the middle in the 3-5-2, uh, which, which is, is not an easy role, and, and there's a lot of responsibility that comes from it. Uh, but he's shown with his, not just his both-footedness, not just his strength and speed, his ability to shoot from distance, but a real cleverness to his game, uh, an awareness and, and a brilliant weight of pass as well. He's been fantastic. Three goals and two assists in the league this season. I think that if he plays a full season for a West Brom team, that I think will be up there. Um, as I said, as I predicted, I think we, we could be looking at what I call a double-double. Um, double figures for goals, double figures for assists. Just a fantastic player and, and one that you know we could be looking at in three or four years' time as an established Premier League player. So a joy to watch Harvey Barnes. Who do you think at this stage, probably going to upset some people here, but... 
just going to put our necks on the line because that's what we do. Uh, we're going to pick the top two that we think are going up to the Premier League automatically. And we're going to pick the bottom three as well. So, George, your top two predictions as we stand after 10 games. West Brom and Middlesbrough. Ooh. West Brom. Yeah, for reasons mentioned, I think they're going to be superb at the Hawthorns and they look like they've, they're enjoying life back in the Championship. Middlesbrough, for you know, again, reasons we've covered already, the Tony Pulis factor is huge. They're very functional. Um, just the one defeat so far this season. Um, and I have doubts about, about Leeds. So then they look to me the obvious three. I went through Borough's defensive stats the other day and I said they're going to be the best defence in the league. That much is a given. The best defence in the league over the last few years has almost always been promoted automatically. But I'm going to leave them out of my top two. I'm going to go with the current top two of West Brom and Leeds. I think West Brom's firepower is just going to be enough to blast them to the top. They look like they're improving somewhat defensively as well. Uh, and I think that they could be, you know, 100 goals and points in the 90s. And I'm going to go with Leeds as well. I know that in recent weeks they haven't always been getting the wins that they started the season with. But I, I can't get enough of their intensity. I think that if they can keep it up, and I'm not going to say that they can, but I'm also not going to just assume that they won't, um, then the way that they play and the way that they attack teams, I think that they're just consistently going to be one of the better teams in the league. So I'm going to go with West Brom and Leeds. What about your bottom three? Uh, bottom three are Hull, Reading and Millwall. Interesting. I'm going with Ipswich, Hull and Rotherham. You think Rotherham are going to drop down there? Yeah, so I, I I, that was a really tough one. I was sort of floating I can between see. I can see your face. Rotherham and, and Reading and Millwall. I think that Reading have improved a bit over the last few weeks. I think that Millwall, that is a worry, Millwall. I'm, I'm slightly coming around to Millwall as I, as I talk. Rotherham, 10 points from 10 games is so impressive and so much better than many thought. But they've barely scored a goal from open play. Now, that's not to sniff at set-piece goals, but I just don't think that's enough to sustain you. I mean, genuinely, even on the weekend, um, a penalty, uh, a goal from a corner, I think they've, they've only scored eight in their 10 games. I'm pretty sure that at least seven have been from set-pieces. I'm just not sure that's sustainable. So those are my bottom three. Um, regardless of what we think, we wanted to get someone on the podcast who watches even more championship fo- football than us, who is much more respected for his nous, for his... Uh, for his voice and for the way that he talks about games it's Daniel Mann um, the Sky Sports commentator and George someone that we've been hoping to get on the pod for a while yeah yeah I mean it's absolutely unbelievable to have him on Um, as you mentioned he's you know the voice of the leagues we cover Um, especially a good time to speak to him now given that he commented uh, commentated on the two pretty special goals on Friday night so uh, without further ado here's uh, our, our chat with Daniel Mann Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. An absolute pleasure to have the man that we consider to be the, the very much the voice of the EFL on the podcast and a very popular guest as well. We had a few requests over the weekend after tweeting about your calls of the Adam Reach and Mateus Click goals on Friday night. So we will start on Friday night. Sheffield Wednesday leads. You watch an awful lot of games and I'm sure it's hard to remember them all, but hopefully this one's still fresh-ish in the mind um, how did you enjoy commentating on that game uh, uh, for Sky Sports on Friday night oh fantastic I think it's probably well it's probably the best championship game 
game I feel I've commentated on for some time. Just, I mean, the atmosphere at Hillsborough is always special under the lights, and it's a fixture I've done a few times, and it's always had that intensity around it, but it had a real special level of intensity within it as well on this occasion, and uh, I think the Leeds performance was a particularly impressive one, a very compelling one, and I think you know, Sheffield Wednesday showing you know how well they've risen to the challenge in the last few weeks as well. So I really enjoyed it as a contest. There was a lot tactically to get your teeth into, and Andy Hinchcliffe certainly enjoyed that side of it in particular as well. And two two very special moments that I think will live with us all for quite a long time, particularly uh, the Adam Reach goal. Yeah, absolutely, and and. There was a, uh, what I would consider to be an almost patented um, cry of, of oh as the shot <laughs> headed towards the goal and I was waiting to hear what the, uh, what the next line would be. Um, when, you're, when you're faced with a goal like that and one that, you know, as soon as it left his foot like, looked like it might have been heading into the stands, how are, your, how, you know, how are you feeling? What's your reaction in that time? fan-like. I mean, I don't really think about these things too much. I think, I find sometimes when you, when you start thinking about it is when it goes wrong. Um, just, just what came out was how I, how I felt at the time. Mm. And that, that's probably, probably the best way to do commentary in the sense that it comes either from the heart, the gut, or it's just off the cuff. And, and that, that was what I thought of it. <laughs> goal as well because of the celebration and the tribute to Andy Callanans and his family who uh, you know someone we've come to know on the circuit covering Sheffield Wednesday and he's, he's a wonderful guy an important part of their backroom team and so, so it became while it was an extraordinary footballing moment it became quite an emotional moment as well for all of us I, mean, it, it, I remember hearing Martin Tyler saying a couple of years ago that, that he assesses and analyses his performances like a player at the end of a game where he'll feel like he's done a good job or a bad job of commentating. I mean, do you do that as well? Do you assess your own performance like that? Or is it a case of getting the job done? You know, you, you try and have those epic moments for the big goals, but really, um, are, are you as self-critical, basically? <laughs> In terms of analysing my own performance, uh, yeah, yes, but I mean, I, I don't tend to agonise over it as much as I used to. I used to think about it... Uh, And with, and with those, I mean, obviously, Reacher's goal, it's a good time to be speaking to you. Do you think about uh, the, you know, how you react to the bigger goals more than other ones, or is it a case of all, all the same, and as you say, just, just reacting like a fan? Um, well, they are. They're the moments people remember. So um, I think 
you want to, you want to try to get them right as as much as possible. And but you, you like I say, I think I've been through a phase as a younger commentator, and I suppose I'm still pretty young by the general standard of it. Um, sometimes you you come in sort of armed with certain phrases you want to get out there. Yeah. But these days, I, I just I just never found that that quite worked. So you just have to kind of trust the moment, really. And it's, it's look, it's, it's Adam, Adam Reach is responsible for all of it. And, and, yeah. and my, my reaction is based purely on what he did. And, you, you, you know, if you come in sort of suitably prepared and you get the kind of confidence from the work you've done, in the week or the days or even sometimes just the few hours you've got leading up like rather than on Saturday there was not, not not a great deal of preparation time really you just come in and you kind of do it with what's in your head but if, if you do have all that sort of confidence then you can just trust yourself to react in the moment and not really think about it too much and generally I've found when I've done that the results have been I wanted to go back to something you said about Leeds's performance on Friday night and and uh, an intriguing performance it it was too and if you're just looking at results of course Leeds drew that game but I think everyone that watched it including a lot of the Leeds fans that we talked to uh, really really encouraged by 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 that performance if not necessarily being able to get the win um you, you've commentated i imagine on plenty of leeds united matches uh, over the years and I, I wondered you know you must be able to analyze performances about as well as, as anyone else at, at championship level is it from the from the first leeds commentary you did this season you know did you just have a moment where you thought actually this is this is something a bit different, something a bit special. Is, is, is this a team unlike others that you've seen before at this level? Oh, totally, totally. I think, I mean, there are the obvious questions and we have Bielsa's history to look at, but, you know, it doesn't necessarily follow that uh, what happened before is going to happen here. I think what really impressed me was that they were basically able to sustain the sort of same intensity of the performance almost totally throughout. What maybe you would look at is, particularly in the second half, the number of actually real golden chances they created was probably not that high for what they had in the game. But what I saw was a sort of greater sense of maturity. I think they've sort of... You talk about sort of stages of learning and you, you, you sort of have um, unconscious incompetence, they talk about it, then conscious incompetence, then conscious competence. I think they've almost got to that stage where they're just doing it, what the elder wants, automatically now, um, without thinking too much about it. And that, that, that is a very positive sign indeed. And that, that, was the, that was the thing that impressed me most about it, is that they seem now to have... And they've had to make some significant changes, you know, Hernandez and Roof not being involved at the moment through because of injuries. And they've had to make those changes. And even though they've put in a few replacement parts, it, it does, from that performance, it doesn't seem as though it's going to be a problem. And those players returning are only going to improve matters. 
characters, I think. So, so from that point of view, there was a there was a greater sort of sense of they're not learning the plan; they're just executing it now. Mm. And that's a that's quite the weapon, isn't it? Really, um, when we've seen it work well in some of those early games, especially against Derby. Being able, being able to execute that plan is, is as, uh, as dangerous as having the best players in the league. Of course, they have plenty of talent as well. Um, I wondered whether there were any other teams uh, whose performances, whose matches you've commentated on this season that have, that have caught, the, caught the eye in the Championship that you've enjoyed commentating on and, and would fancy seeing more of? everything you've said sort of points to it being as tight as ever and and not much between these teams certainly on a game-by-game basis and and ebbs and flows in performances I think there's just six points between first West Brom and 15th Aston Villa at the moment um, which is which is pretty amazing of course a lot of people listening who love the EFL won't realise just how much you do that is non-EFL and for other broadcasters and channels as well. Um, but you, you clearly do so much Football League stuff. Um, have you always been a, a, a big fan of the EFL and what is it that makes it um, such a joy, or at least I hope it's a joy for you to commentate on? It's certainly a joy for us to, to listen back to it. Oh, it's, it's definitely a 
certainly a joy. I think there, there are many reasons behind it. I mean, you, you, you talk about the roller coaster that is the championship, and that is obviously the major reason. The football is always the reason. Uh, but, but around it and the team that I work with uh, makes it a particular joy. I mean, I work with, with people who, you know, we have a sort of very intuitive relationship and a lot of trust and... Uh, you know that makes it that makes it something more than just work, if you like. And you know, working with people like Andy Hinchcliffe, Jonathan Oakes, Danny Higginbotham, and Scott Minto, Sean Boyle, our producer, who I should give a mention to. You know, we're, we're very tight, and that that is um, that makes it all the more pleasurable. And you know, we we learn from each other as as the season progresses. So so that that makes it a joy. Um, I do follow a club in the championship, which I'm not going to name for obvious <laughs> um, so, so I have a have a personal interest in it, and yeah, I, I've, I, there, there's certain things you, you sort of have ambitions to do as a commentator, and they would centre probably around the big sort of European club moments and the big international moments. But from a week to week basis, I don't think there are many if any, better competitions to do with all the twists and turns than the championship. Uh, best league in the world, certainly, um, is, 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 is often the tagline and something that we tend to agree with. Yeah, just, just a final point on the championship as well. It's something that we've discussed, but you know, you, you've obviously seen so many um, seasons in the championship. We've seen great teams coming through. We've seen, obviously, Newcastle, Brighton, Wolves doing fantastically now. How do you think this batch of teams compares to those, to, to those in recent years? That's a that's a very interesting question. I think um, it's it's difficult to know at, at this stage. I think you know I, I enjoyed like another example out there. I enjoyed immensely Bournemouth when they were when yeah. they won the title and watching them was you know a sheer joy. You know most weeks they they were you know exciting, uh, easy on the eye, and. You know, they've obviously done extremely well in the uh, intervening years as well, when most probably would have predicted that life would be very difficult. So it's, it's difficult to say. I mean, I think Wolves look like being one of those teams that, you know, will, will sort of be able to make that transition from being far and away the best team in the championship to being a, a more than solid Premier League outfit. Uh, so so they, they would have to count as... as one of the best championship teams I've ever seen. Um, in terms of Newcastle, I, I see no reason why whoever goes up this year, particularly if they've got the sort of heft of being a Leeds or even a Middlesbrough, you know, the, the, the draw, particularly that a club like Leeds had, if they went into the, the Premier League, I think would be considerable. And I think, you know, playing that way with an improvement in their squad if they can get up there then they yeah they, they would certainly compare very favourably to those teams a long way to go as you say but already an intriguing start to the season and Daniel it's been our absolute pleasure to have you on talking about the championship thank you so much for joining us and we very much look forward to for the remainder of the season and beyond hopefully uh, many more cries of oh uh, <laughs> plus an adjective or, a, or an exclamation um, and a couple of uh, where's that going to drops as well because um, <laughs> yes. I, uh, I, I've, I, 
I can't imagine there's many people who have listened to more Daniel Mann commentaries over the last few years, um, given my work on a, on a particular highlight show as well. So an absolute pleasure to talk to you, uh, and thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. An absolute joy and a pleasure for us to talk to Daniel Mann. Really, really exciting stuff. And, uh, yeah, a bit of a sort of pinch-me moment, I suppose, because he is a man that we listen to an awful lot, a man that we talk about a lot, that we tweet about a lot, and uh, fantastic to get some of his views on what he's seen in the championship so far and on what makes it such a, a special division. Uh, of course, you know where to find him, on Sky Sports, every weekend, often twice a weekend as well, commentating on the EFL. Uh, as for League One, well, it's the same sort of thing. We wanted to get someone's views that we respect, someone's views that we know are on the money. Uh, Ollie Walker, who is a League One analyst for Stratabet and a Luton fan who follows the league closer than anyone, I think, who watches more League One football than anyone. I'm pretty sure of that. And we gave him a call earlier as well to talk to him after 10 games and see exactly what he thought of League One as we are now. So, Ollie, great to have you on on the show. Um, for people who don't know, uh, your job title is League One Analyst and Research at Stratabet, which sounds like an absolute perler to us. Uh, can you just take us through um, what it entails and what, what you and what you do? Yeah, um, I mean, for, for myself, it's, you couldn't really think of a better job, and um, it's, it's pretty much exactly as it sounds. So, Stratabet, you know, we're a the main operation of the company is to um, trade on sports. So where I come into it is I'm in charge of all the research on League One. So I write previews for all the games uh, from a tactical and a betting perspective. I, you know, I profile what uh, the latest injury news is, what the recent results have been, what the mood and motivations are of the teams, and uh, just sort of analyse how that's going to affect their approach to games. And then uh, I'll make recommendations to the trading team based off that. Um, the other, so obviously that takes up most of my time. Uh, so I'm like to think I'm fairly a fairly good authority on the league. Uh, the other side to my job is that I have to uh, watch the game. So every Sunday or Monday, at least, if not a couple more days in the week, I'll be watching uh, some League One football and just collecting the data, uh, mostly on uh, the chances teams are created um, to add into our databases and take a more objective view to how the teams are getting on. Do you make sure you watch that sort of um, cut-down version where you don't have to watch the ball being out for a throw constantly? <laughs> you know, I've, I've been doing this job for close to two years and no, that hadn't even cut... I, I, I like, you know, Ali, like, it's the little things when the ball is out of play, you might see the fans getting on the player's back or something, you know, it might, might change the flow of the game. You've got to be aware of those things. So, um, no, not so much, but you thought I'd be less of, less of an amateur by now, but apparently not. <laughs> I mean, you really do know, like, <clears throat> an awful lot about this league. That's becoming clearer by the second. Um, it also <laughs> strikes me you'd be quite handy on our... Um, on our betting show so we might need to have a discussion about that after this um, I I, you know what I did have a shaky start to the season but it's starting to turn around now so um, yeah maybe catch me in a month or so's time when I'm in when I've hit form <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough league to bet on um, as we're finding um, that I think they all are to an extent but it, it leads us quite well onto the state of play in League One at the moment um, yep. you know you mentioned some of your roles uh, in work but you also play a, a role um, for us as uh, as people who like to take down some League One content um, and you do that in a couple of different ways um, on your blog you have written uh, great pieces sort of assessing uh, 
um, what the what the data is saying about certain teams' performances early on in the season. Um, but you also provide uh, what's called a dashboard with every single shot taken in League One this year, um, put put down and filtered out by club and by player and, and everything like that. So is that something that you do sort of in your own time, literally out of the goodness of your heart? Um, yeah, to be honest. I mean, it's, it's, it's both out of the goodness of my heart and also because, uh, you know, when I write the pieces I write, it helps me to actually look at things uh, from a more objective view. So obviously whilst I'm doing the job, so day to day, I'm taking all the information on board in smaller chunks. But when I actually write the pieces, uh, it allows me to take a broader view on things and sort of take a step back and look at the bigger picture. Um, and the dashboard, you know, that's just one of those things that when uh, we got access to the data and we were given permission to, uh, you know, release it publicly, uh, it's just one of those things that I thought, you know, had I not had this job and someone else had, I'd really want someone to make that available. And, and same with the articles as well, really. Um, when I started doing this stuff last season, there wasn't really anything. Obviously, Ben Mayhew was producing all the graphics, which are absolutely excellent and, you know, an inspiration uh, to a lot of the work I've done. But there wasn't really anyone doing uh, sort of the write-ups and actually sort of saying what the data, how the data was going to affect the teams and how it actually, you know, what it actually meant. Um, and again, that was something that I would have read if it wasn't me doing it. So that's pretty much what uh, what's got me doing those things. George absolutely loves the dashboard, don't you, mate? I do. I'm just <laughs> I'm playing with it now. And I put Oxford in and I got rid of it pretty quickly because it didn't really like what I saw. Um, but, I was going to say, that, that must be a little bit there, but... <laughs> yeah, there's not much, not, not much comes up. Um, we were talking earlier about how it seems like almost every Oxford shot is James Henry from the edge of the box, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, not, not really sure if that comes up on the dashboard. We'll have to have a look. I mean, it, it, beyond just Oxford, I mean, I'm sure, um, well, I know that we don't project too well uh, in the shot data, but who, who is looking um, the strongest in the league uh, from your perspective? I know Ali and I both... Uh, have our have our fancies and, and a couple of teams up at the top we're not we're not quite so so sure on what are the trends basically yeah i mean obviously I'm, you know i'm a regular listen, listener to the pod so i'm not sure if i'm going to be saying anything too uh different to what you guys have uh, been saying uh, in previous weeks so far so teams that are looking quite good uh i'm quite hot on barnsley um you know defense some of their performance have been a little bit inconsistent like so it's, the first few games they were looking you know, like they could eclipse Wigan and Blackburn and the standards they set last year. But then a couple of performances since then have been a little bit uh, less inspiring. But, you know, they're not going to do that over the, uh, every game, over 46 games. So, yeah, they're looking pretty good so far. Um, I'm quite pleased to say Luton are looking all right. Uh, we're only 12 and we've played some tough teams. but Go Guaranteed you know. three points tomorrow as well, so... <laughs> I was going to bring that up towards the end. I mean, it's, I didn't want to give him the kiss of death and say, you know, it's a, it's a banker, but yeah, we'll see, we'll see. What, what, and also, what, what, we, I don't think we've actually won away yet this season. Yeah, so, yeah. What are the reasons for Luton? I mean, apart from strength of the opposition, is it a case of of missing Hilton through injury or, or conceding sloppy goals if they're if they're projecting well but not necessarily picking up the results? Yeah, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, Hilton, like to be fair, we've looked better than I thought we were going to be uh, when he when he picked up the injury. I was quite worried as to how that would affect us, and we've looked better than I thought. Cause when he's come out of the team, um, initially we when he was in the team, we had Hilton and Collins up front with uh, playing Elliot Lee in behind, almost as a second striker behind them. Um, we moved Elliot Lee up front, and we brought Andrew Shinney into the team. So we've now got 
George Grant playing at the tip of the diamond with Shinny and Paddy Ruddock and Pansy playing behind. And having Shinny and Grant in the same team does give Luton just, and obviously this is without Hilton in the team, it just gives Luton a bit more fluidity on the ball. Whereas, so it's a different kind of threat we've got without him in the team. It's not, we're not looking as bad as I was hoping, as, as I thought we were going to look without Hilton. Uh, but that's definitely a factor because he is just such a pest and he's just such um you know, he's a player that you can really rely on upon when you are, you know, if things are level. Uh, you do look to, you know, Hilton, you look to Collins to, they, you know, they did it last season, they'll just get you a goal mm. uh, to win the games. And and um, I, I guess it's probably not an easy question, so apologies for this, because it must be hard to compare uh, across seasons. But George and I were talking earlier, and, and I think that... Um, that, that, that certainly the top teams in League One this season are better than their equivalents last season. So looking at the top six, Portsmouth, Peterborough, Doncaster, Sunderland, Barnsley and Charlton. Um, you've mentioned Luton there as well. They're, they're down in 12th, but also looking like a, a good team and some of the teams in between uh, as well playing well. Does that sort of pass the eye test for you as someone who has literally watched every single League One game over the last like uh, year and a bit? Uh, does it seem like the league's got stronger or, or is that just you know me getting a bit carried away with, with lots of goals and, and lots of teams challenging? Uh, I don't think it's unfair to say. Um, I, I just looked at the uh, last year's tale, which is traumatic, because all I can remember was Wigan, Blackburn and Rotherham, uh, obviously, who went up. Then mm. you've got Shrewsbury, Scunthorpe, Charlton, Plymouth, Portsmouth, uh, the rest of the top eight. And yeah, I, to be honest, I would say this edition is stronger. I, 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 yeah, I would say stronger, and I'd also say it is going to be a lot more competitive as well, uh, based on you know what we've seen so far. Cause some of the te- you know it is only ten games, and it's hard to um, project out from those ten how you know obviously teams are going to lose form at some point, and you've got teams from lower down that are going to come up into the picture. But yeah, there, there's definitely a lot of quality. Um, you know, obviously we had Wigan and Blackburn last year that were just the two standout teams. Whereas I don't, to be honest just now I don't think I can actually say there is one standout team I mean there's a couple that I think you know I think are more likely to go up but I wouldn't say they're nailed on at this stage I think there's probably you know four, five, six teams that would be thinking you know if we can actually improve a little bit going forwards and really push on into the season that you know there's five or six teams that would, would actually have that as a, reali- a realistic ambition at this stage and, and looking down the league as well um, obviously Plymouth um, and Oxford at the bottom on five points, Bradford and Gillingham, um, and the next two with Wickham and Shrewsbury down there as well. Do they look like the weakest team as well, or are there any clubs uh, in mid-table who, who you're a bit more concerned for that could drop down into that area? No, I, I, I think they probably... To be honest, like, the table is pretty close to how I think it should look, and I've, I've, you know, even, even taking the data into account... Um, which is quite boring to say, so I know it's more interesting to say, oh, there's, uh, you know, so-and-so in top half that are looking absolutely awful in the numbers, and they're surely going to drop off in in the coming weeks. But, yeah, you know, the teams around mid-table, you've got Southend, Coventry, Burton, you know, all looking like mid-table teams to me so far. I think they've got too much to be uh, dragged into it. From sort of Wimbledon downwards, I'll be looking at your relegation contenders. Um, you know, Shrewsbury is... is pretty well documented that they've been unlucky in pretty much every time I preview a Shrewsbury game even the opposition managers are picking up on it and saying you know they shouldn't be down there they're better than they are but you know they're not finishing their chances and they are conceding soft goals and 
whilst the data is saying that they should be above uh, where they are and they should have got results better than they are, it, you know, at some point you have to ask whether it's just the quality of the players that, you know, are, are missing these chances and making these mistakes and that's going to stop them from looking higher up the table. Um, at this stage, I think they are too good, good to go down. What, what's interesting about Shrewsbury actually is that their numbers aren't too far away from the numbers I had for them last season. So they do they do actually, you know, their numbers are pretty dis, uh, their numbers are actually pretty good. Uh, they're sort of top half and I expect a goal difference per game. Uh, their defence is looking great. But it's the complete other side of the coin for Shrewsbury, isn't it? You know, last year they finished third and were you know, just grinding out 1-0 wins every week in this season. Uh, well, I'm, I, I wouldn't even put it just uh, down to just luck, but I would say that there's, luck's definitely played a part. And last year they had, you know, the rub of the green and this year they definitely haven't. And that's what we call the Reading uh, Vortex on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, as you know, as you will know, Ollie, from listening to the pod. I mean, uh, just moving aside maybe from the numbers and from teams, but I'm just interested, given how much League One football you watch, uh, about players that you enjoy watching, because uh, in the last few years there have been a few players who've played in League One who have moved up the leagues, obviously your Adamola Lookmans and your Esri Konzas from Charlton. Uh, it strikes me that that game, Luton-Charlton on the weekend, and what a game it was too, um, had, some, had some other young players um, that, that, that could be quite exciting, uh, the likes of Aribo and Grant and even Pelly Ruddock and Panzo. I know he's, I think, 25, but still feels like a young player to me. And I know that James Justin is a favourite of yours. Are, there, are those guys and any others that, you, that you'd flag up and, and hopefully claim in a few years' time when they're playing at Premier League football, we can give you a nod? <laughs> yeah, I mean, from a Luton perspective, the, our recruitment's been so good recently that I could honestly list off about half the first team, you know, there's so many players in that team that look like they'll go on to play at a higher level hopefully with us in a couple of years um, you know they're all a good age we've got a good manager that's going to improve them Pelly Roddick and Pansu who is a fan favourite because we, we, we signed him when we were in the conference and he's actually I think our, yeah I'm pretty confident saying he's our longest service, serving player now um, and just at the back end of last season he just hit his best form yet and he's carried that into this season and honestly he is you know if he carries it on uh, we will struggle to keep him. Um, Charles and Colin Grant just looks great, hasn't he? Uh, as you said, uh, I like Joe Rebo as well. Uh, around the rest of the league, I really like Ronan Curtis. Uh, I, I, you know, for someone who came in with, obviously, it is the League of Ireland, and not people in England don't really have that much knowledge about it. Uh, so when he comes in, you know, people don't say, "Oh, wow, what's the signing?" Because they haven't seen him play, and he just looks absolutely superb. Um, you know, he's looking like a... I don't know how much Portsmouth paid for him, but, you know, given they're in League One and he was signed from League of Art, uh, from the Irish League, I don't think they would have, the outlay would have been too much. They've probably multiplied their investment already and we're 10 games into the season. Yeah, I've seen him a couple of times and at both times I've just been so impressed that, you know, he's coming to Portsmouth, they're top of the league and he's, for me, been their best player so far. Yeah, Curtis from League of Ireland, Jamal Lowe as well, uh, is sort of... Big partner in crime came from non-league, so Pompey's recruitment yeah. team can can have a bit of a pat on the back. Um, well, Ollie, mate, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we've been enjoying reading your stuff and enjoying uh, all the things that you produce for us, including the dashboard uh, over the last um, few. Well, over the last two seasons, really. Uh, we wish Luton the best of luck, and um, and thank you very much for joining us. If you just let us know where we can follow you, where we can find your stuff as well. Uh, yeah, so I'm 
like you'll see most of my stuff on Twitter. It's um, my handles at Oliver MPW underscore. Um, I'm not that regular on there, and I don't put stuff out that often. But I like to think that when I do, it's uh, it's of, of decent quality. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. It's uh, been good to chat. Straight into League Two, and unfortunately, we don't have an expert to discuss the League Two action this week. But what we will do is the same as we did with the Championship. We're going to look at the state of play after 10 games. We're going to just quite simply talk about the teams we're most impressed with, most disappointed by, our favourite managers and players, and end with some top and bottom predictions. Make sure you're getting in touch with us at NTT20Pod, by the way, for the Championship, for League One, for League Two. It'd be great to hear your answers for these categories. So please, please get in touch with us. George, without further ado, the team in League Two that you've been most impressed by so far this season? Yeah, it's Forest Green. Um, they have maybe not picked up the points their performances deserve. Um, they're on 16 points through 10 in seventh place, but I think the foundations have been set for a really good season. They were disappointing uh, last campaign when we had high hopes for them after their promotion from non-league, but um, I just feel like it's all set for, for them to really build upon this unbeaten start. Three wins and seven draws obviously doesn't look great in the table, but um, I think Mark Cooper's done a fantastic job. They've ridden the the wave, I guess, or, or they've got over the, the loss of uh, Christian Doidge impressively. Um, it doesn't look like the strongest league except for Lincoln. So there's no reason, I don't think, why they can't you know, really push for the top three. Yeah, the team I've been most impressed by are not one of the teams necessarily vying for automatic promotion at the moment. Uh, but it's Yeovil just for the way in which they have built a team uh, on a shoestring budget, how they have thrown in the face of all of those who predicted them to struggle this season and picked up along the way some eye-catching results, uh, some headline results, playing good football, um, showing real togetherness. And yeah, just basically constantly getting knocked. Um, and, you know, us ourselves predicted them to struggle this season. And, uh, and Darren Way can be very, very proud of, of how they've started the season. Um, they're down in 12th at the moment, and you've, you've always got to wonder with a, with a thin squad like that uh, how long it will last and whether they'll stay up there. But just some of their performances in ind- individual games this season, I didn't see coming. I've been massively impressed with them. So Yeovil, the team I've been most impressed by. What about the teams that we're disappointed in here, George? Yeah, really disappointed with Grimsby. Um, I can't say I necessarily had high hopes for them to start with, but they look absolutely appalling, um, it must be said. Now, Michael Jolly obviously did such a good job when he came in last season, saving them from relegation, um, but it's looking like he is not the man to take them forward. They are absolutely terrible going forward, um, really, really poor. Uh, they finally broke their goal-scoring drought on the weekend, but still lost 2 one at home to Morecambe, who are favourites um, for relegation. It's just really, really grim there. And I don't know how long Jolly's going to get to turn it around, but he has to very, very quickly. Team I'm most disappointed in, the team that sacked their manager most recently, Northampton Town. We had quite high hopes for them. And a little bit like what I said about Preston earlier, it's now hard to imagine why and hard to remember why, because uh, this is a team that has been almost entirely miserable through 10 games this season. Um, it came to a head this weekend with the sacking of Dean Austin, and, and he basically said, "You know, who could 
who could come in and deal with this group of players any better than I can? He didn't feel like he was getting anything from them. And they definitely bear a lot of the brunt of my disappointment. Uh, big names, a lot of them for League Two level, not performing for whatever reason. Now, it remains to be seen whether Keith Curl, who was appointed today as the new Northampton manager, uh, will turn things around. Part of me thinks that he, he will, to some extent, make them better and, and make them move up the table away from the bottom of the table, but ten games in, it, it's it's hard to be anything but hugely disappointed uh, at the shambles of Northampton Town so far this season, and unfortunately, a shambles uh, that's been in effect for the last few years, pretty much since the departure of Chris Wilder, um, and and started with some issues behind the scenes uh, for those running the club, um, and continued uh, over the last few years on the pitch as well. It's just been really disappointing to see their decline, and hopefully. Keith Curl will be the man to to bring them back up. Uh, in, in, on a more positive note, George, regardless of what Keith Curl can do at Northampton, who's the manager that you've been most impressed with that you've enjoyed this season in League Two? I mean, I think Matt Taylor has to take the take the credit there. Um, coming into the, the the version, the EFL version of Fergie, Fergie leaving uh, Manu with uh, with um, Paul Tisdale leaving Exeter and him stepping in. Um, very little experience or no experience of being a first team manager either, um, and. They've been mightily impressive. Uh, 20 points from 10 games, third on the table. It's been a fantastic start to what could have been a really, really tricky time for the club. Um, so I think probably actually in the whole EFL, I would say that Matt Taylor is doing, has done the best job so far. Miracle man Mike Flynn for me, my favourite manager this season in League Two. We talk about Danny Cowley a lot. There's no surprises uh, from my point of view that his Lincoln side topped the table and that he continues to be impressive both in setting up his team and in his in-game decisions. But I'm going with Mike Flynn. Newport, seven wins out of ten, uh, second in League Two. They, they said that Flynn was uh, only a motivator and that he was able to, to whip up the team into a frenzy that season that they avoided the drop on final day. Uh, he did struggle last season to put together the same sort of team, the same team that battled late into games and played above themselves. Uh, but it turns out that he was just having a bit of a rest because that's exactly what this Newport team are doing. When it goes wrong, it goes spectacularly wrong. They got absolutely thrashed at home by Yeovil. But in about 90% of their football so far this season, Newport have been fantastic. And as we know, all it takes is, is a team to put together a, a really solid run uh, to, to start challenging three automatic promotion spots up for grabs in League Two. Newport at the moment doing everything they can to be one of the teams. Uh, and Flynn with his humour, with his passion, um, he's just a, a fantastic character and he's, he's built a team in his image. So Mike Flynn, a, a manager that I have been hugely enjoying. What about your favourite player? In League Two, yeah, it's uh, James Norwood um, who has taken the step up to League Two in his stride. Uh, currently, top scorer in the league with seven. I think it was very important that he did that with Tranmere losing their star striker from last season. Um, and Andy Cook, he uh, he looks like he could be the real deal. I mean, at 28 years old, he's certainly deserved his chance at this level. He was prolific for Forest Green um, in non-league before moving to Tranmere, where he's, he, he did very well indeed. Um, and he looks like we've seen with Macclesfield and losing their manager how quickly they lost momentum and then now look they're not of the class that's needed in League, in, in League 2 so Norwood being able to step up to the plate and, and score the goals he is is making Tranmere's return to the EFL somewhat seamless and uh, I'm really impressed yeah, I'm also going with another guy that's moved up from non-league and it's Bruno Andrade who Lincoln signed from Boreham Wood 
uh, in the summer. Now, he has built the most glorious partnership down Lincoln's left-hand side with Harry Toffolo, the left-back, and he gives them a, a, another dimension. There's a lot made of the signing of John Akinde in the summer, uh, being the man to, to score the goals, to fire Lincoln to promotion. Uh, but it's not just as simple as that. And in signing Andrade to provide the craft and the vision, the skill um, as well, that they've, they've, they've just added another absolute class act. He, he stepped up really, really well. And, you know, fans of Stevenage uh, and Wickham and Aldershot as well, who, who had him on loan back in the day when he was a younger player uh, on the books at QPR, uh, might be wondering where this player has blossomed from. Or maybe he always had the talent and he just needed to apply it. Either way, Andrade is, uh, is perfect for Lincoln uh, and a player that I've been loving watching in League Two this season. Can you give me, please, George, your predictions after 10 games for the three teams we're going to see be promoted automatically from League Two this season? Yeah, I'm going to go for Lincoln. Um, I'm going to go for Forest Green and Exeter. No MK Dons in there? No, I, I think there's they're just unbelievably bad at getting over the line, aren't they? And um, Yeah, real problems with finishing. Yeah, exactly. MK Dons. I, mean, I, I still wouldn't be surprised if they got there, but I think on the evidence that we've seen, those are the three best teams in the league. I think that's the one that's going to differ for me. I think I'm going with Lincoln. I'm going with Exeter and I'm going to go with MK Dons. There's still a long way to go and I feel like this is a little bit risky because you're right that they have had huge issues with finishing. But I still think that they are the hardest team to beat in the league, probably not named Lincoln. Uh, they've only lost one game this season. Uh, it's it's obviously touch and go between them and Forest Green and, and when they hosted Forest Green the other day, Forest Green did did, uh, did play very, very well in that one-all draw. So pretty much 50-50 between them, but I'm going to go with MK Dons, Exeter, who have been so impressive, and, and Lincoln, of course, as well. All that's left now is to touch on our team of the week, George. It, it wasn't necessarily a week filled with hugely eye-catching results, uh, but we're going to pick the team, quite rightly, I think, who won uh, at the longest price this weekend. It was Bolton beating Derby at home. Phil Parkinson very much doing Phil Parkinson things in this one. Perfectly Bolton, uh, grabbing an early-ish goal in the first half, defending for their lives, something that they do incredibly well. Huge credit, as always, to go to to him and and that Bolton side. And players like Will Buckley, um, players like Jack Hobbs catching the eye as well. That just says it all, doesn't it, really? Just fantastic effort building a team that he has. And at such a crucial stage of the season where after a quick start it looked... To all people, I think that they were suddenly starting a slide. Um, and especially after last Saturday, holding on at Portman Road with 10 men for as long as they did and getting that point. It's been a really, really good seven days um, from the Saturday to Saturday for, for Bolton. And um, I think their fans can now be happy that they, uh, you know, they, they weren't, it looked like they may, they may slide. They've arrested that um, and they defended very well indeed. I mean, Derby had um, 17 shots, but just looking at the shot map now, and most of those were pot shots from outside the area or were blocked. So, yeah, really impressive. Very impressive stuff from you there, George. Very impressive stuff from our guests, Ollie Walker and Daniel Mann. Thank you so much to those guys for joining us. Thank you very much for listening, guys, and getting through this. We've mixed it up a little bit this week um, with the midweek action, which we hope you'll enjoy. Uh, we felt that it was better to take stock and, and have some more general conversations. Let us know what you think about those who are going to be promoted, relegated from the three divisions, players and managers you've enjoyed watching at this uh, early juncture of the season. As always, we ask you uh, for a share on social media in, in, in exchange for an hour's worth of hot EFL chat. 
um, just a retweet would would uh, would mean the absolute world for us. And until the Thursday betting show, which we hope you'll join us for, and an appearance on EFL Matters on Thursday evening as well. Until next time, that's it from us. Yeah.